This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Hello again, and welcome to the When to Jump podcast. I'm Alex Abnos, producer for the show, filling in again for Mike Lewis. Mike is still resting his voice, but he should be back very soon. This week, we're going to give you an interview Mike did with Rob Walker, better known to those of you that read the New York Times or read his column as the Workologist. Since 2013, Rob has been answering questions from people about a whole range of career issues. He covers everything from relationship with coworkers and bosses to whether or not to make a big career change, something we cover an awful lot on this show. Mike spoke with Rob on the phone a few months ago, and their conversation has plenty of interesting nuggets for jumpers everywhere. So I hope you enjoy it. Rob Walker, the workologist from the New York Times, thank you so much for joining me here on the When to Jump podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So for those who don't know a bit about you and your background, how long have you been thinking and writing and and talking to others and, and giving guidance on the topic of work? Well, uh, the workologist column has existed for a little over four years. Uh, prior to that, my background is, uh, you know, longtime journalist, but, uh, honestly, you know, my primary topics for a long time were more in the realms of marketing and branding and design stuff like that. Workologist column came up in a funny way. I would, the, the editor of the Sunday business section at the time, you know, they wanted to start this advice column. And uh, I had several conversations with her about it, about, you know, what she was looking for and who, the, what, what, you know, different kinds of writers she might approach. And then she finally said, why don't you do it? And I said, well, I did the Dick Cheney thing, I guess, where I ended up getting the job that I was supposed to help her find. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I do have a lot of interest in sort of the work world and, um, you know, management and uh, career management and things like that. But it hadn't been my primary topic per se. It was just a, it was just an interest. But so uh, that was a little over four years ago. It was it was every other week. We just recently it, uh, this year it went weekly. Um, so I'm adjusting to that uh, new pace. But it's uh, it's it's gone really well. It's got an audience and um, I'm very happy with it. What was it about the format that uh, that was so compelling to you? Well, as a writer, there's a sort of a daredevil thing going on there where you don't have any control over what you're going to be writing about because you could totally, you're totally dependent on the questions that you get, which, you know, people think, oh, that's really freeing. You don't have to have any ideas, but it's also really challenging because, you know, you have to work with what you've got. Um, and, and to answer a question, I'm shocked how often people ask this. Yes, all the questions are real. It's the New York Times. We don't make up things. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have your, your buddy or your, your mom. Making no, up for no. You. There's no hoaxes or, uh, or, or ringers or anything like that. It's all real questions from, from real strangers. Did you go through in your head, hey, am I qualified to give advice? Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I didn't jump to a completely different field, but I was really interested in different formats and different, like doing things I hadn't done before and seeing if I could do them. So, and you know, that always entails as it does with any, it entails some like, well, geez, can I do that? Am I qualified? Do I deserve to have the chance and, and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, but I've been self-employed for a really long time. So the, the truth is that you can't survive being self-employed if you spend a lot of time doubting your qualifications to do things. You just have to try um, or, or the bills don't get paid. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. People, people ask that, I think, a lot in our community. Well, like, you know, how do you know if you can do it? It's like, well, I think you just give it a go and <laughs> yeah. you see what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you've been getting more and more in the trenches of this this discussion and and really serving as a sounding board for, for so many readers from the Times, uh, do you start to, to step back and say, wow, there's a there's a certain type of question or there's a certain line of questioning or there's a certain pain point that we seem to be hitting, you know, if you if you look at the pattern or the series of dots that you're collecting as a journalist on the other side of of, of real American people and folks elsewhere that are that are running up against things in their in their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple ways to answer that. One is, you know, there are certain sort of recurring themes. It's almost sad. I mean, like the, your work life is actually really important. You know, it's like a lot of your waking hours and it's a little surprising, but maybe not surprising. But there's just a lot of kind of sloppy management out there, a lot of careless management. And that's too bad because if there were more just thoughtful management happening, um, it would just improve so many lives, <laughs> you know? So there's that as a sort of recurring theme. And then most recently, and this is how you and I ended up speaking, I got this question from a guy who had retired at 55. He sold his company and he didn't have to work anymore. So he'd stopped working and now he's bored out of his mind. So what should he do? Like that was the essence of his question. And um, my answer to that, uh, which had, I pointed him towards some sort of like opportunities toward freelancing where he could kind of, you know, dabble in work in different ways. Um, that got a lot of response, which led to, I think may have led to the question that you and I spoke yeah. about, which was the person who, very different situation was I think late or mid fifties and sort of in this countdown to retirement, but was miserable um, and was trying to figure out, should I stick it out for these last eight or nine years to retirement or should (laughs) I try to make a change? And I think that that one also hit a nerve and that there's a lot of people in that situation because that got a lot of response. I'd love to touch on the question of of age because I get that quite a bit. Do you think that there's, a point in which it's hard to undergo some job crafting if, if you're later on in your career versus early on or is or, or vice versa? You know, it depends not just on age, but also on, you know, what your other obligations and so on are in your life and what your goals are in terms of or what even even what you think your goals are in terms of how long you want to be in the workforce. When you're really trying to change into a different career, and you're over, let's say, I'll just be an arbitrary number 50 or something like that. Like there's there's no question that it's harder to find work. And and yes, age discrimination is illegal. But yes, it's also, um, you know, a reality. And reality is, is tough. And um, and it's, it's foolish to um, kid yourself about that. You know, at what point do you, do you come across the intersection of technology and work and think about the future of work? And start to either you know worry or or get excited by by that that dance and that intersection as we go forward. Well, I mean, it's funny because some of the main issues around this are not really new anymore. Um, 
one of the things that's kind of most interesting to me for selfish reasons is the impact of technology on remote work because um, I don't work at the Times office. I left New York 18 years ago and I live in New Orleans um, and you know I've been self-employed and working for clients in New York and Washington and San Francisco for all of that time. Just the length of time that it like that. So so I, in 2000, it was people you're reading kind of the same stuff about like, ah, oh, telecommuting, the new trend or whatever. And so still we're 18 years past that. And we're still kind of like having trouble getting <laughs> like <laughs> managing right. the, the limits of that and, 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 and exploring like how much uh, companies are willing to tolerate it under what circumstances, the pros and cons, how to manage remote people like still struggling with a lot of the same stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think that I would have assumed back in 2000 that that would all have advanced much further than it has in practice. Um, and similarly on this, on the side, on the technology trend that has affected work that I'm often concerned about is the degree to which the hiring process, the you know, the resume sifting process has been automated and, and uh, mechanized. Um, and so, so it, it, the, the upshot is that people now spend a lot of time optimizing their resume to be read by a machine, essentially. And I don't know that that's great news for anybody. <laughs> uh, and you know, at the end, and at the end, and at the end of the day, the advice that you still always have to come down with is like, you know, optimize your resume all you want, but most good job connections come through your, you know, either direct or most likely indirect networking. Um, you know, the, the, the human touch is still incredibly important in that. And, you know, I tell people, I'll tell you another thing I say to people all the time about this job search thing is, is I'm a big, I've always been, long before I was ever doing this column, I was an advocate of kind of the permanent job search. Like you're sort of always keeping your ear to the, like even when you're happy in your current job, you should always take the lunch or whatever to explore the other opportunity because you never know what will happen down the road. And it's so much more... It doesn't feel as transactional. It feels more just like I'm meeting people and learning about my business sector or my adjacent business sector that I might be interested in someday. It's more educational and less transactional. And it feels less desperate because you, you like if you wait till the moment when it's like, oh my God, I hate this job so much. I've got to find another job. It's a miserable experience. Right. You're much better off like um, just having it kind of be a constant low grade activity to keep your eye out for other opportunities, even when you're happy, um, I think. A, a quick anecdote on that. Uh, my sister, uh, who in about a week will be like you, an expat New Yorker, uh, is leaving New York City with her husband and 10-month-old um, for Colorado. And for several years, she's been in advertising in New York, for a lot longer than that as I think desire to move geographies as they start a family, this and that. And I've encouraged her kind of similar to that advice, just, you know, take coffees, have lunch with folks. People, you know, say they're, you know, they really want to move to Colorado. People bring up Colorado, you know, mention that you're interested there and, 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 and share your story. And when the book came out, this was January like 10th, 
I had an interview with CNBC on the money in Edgewood Cliffs, New Jersey, if, I, if I'm naming that town right. And my sister took the day off work to come with me. And we get to the stage. It's pretty cool. I hadn't really seen a set like that before. And they put us in this green room. And the, the person that was going to be on CNBC on the money right after us was the CEO of a major corporation that happened to be based in Denver, Colorado. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we make small talk. And because of, you know, similar to just like you said, you know, just, just having the conversation there as we waited to go on air, this gentleman asked my sister what she was up to. My sister jumped at the chance. He said, oh, you've got to speak to my friend who's, who's the executive of one of the largest advertising firms on the West Coast, happens to be based in Denver. Long story short... My sister is now working for that gentleman's friend's firm and they're moving out in three days. Yeah, there <laughs> so, you go. There you go. And that's something yeah. that like she could never have found that. Like, you know what I mean? Like that it's that you got to just kind of go with um, what life gives you sometimes. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Michael Lewis, the finance author, talks about this in my book. He says it's it's about letting yourself be lucky. But I think that what people might miss in that story is that, you know, there was probably 18 months of her bringing up that conversation to someone on the subway or in the elevator in her apartment building, and it and it didn't go anywhere. So yeah. it doesn't mean that it'll just work the first time, but it is worth just being open and, and letting yourself be lucky, I, I think, at least. Yeah, I think that's right. It is very much like uh, a lot of what reporting is, uh, both in terms of idea generation and actual reporting. And I, I just, I, and maybe that's why I find it so interesting intuitive to use similar practice in sort of job seeking but you know i'm constantly it's it's what i do for a living is have conversations with random people about whatever you know and filing away this uh, i've there's a one of these columns we're talking about um where i was advising that guy about uh maybe wanting to look into freelance work uh uh part of the sourcing for that came from a uh, I had met someone in a bar three years earlier in Cincinnati who was <laughs> telling me about this freelance com- company that he had. And I was like, oh, I didn't like, how does that work? And just sort of filed that away. And then, you know, I got the guy's number. And of course, he thought he'd never hear from me again. It's like, well, three years later, hey, remember that conversation? <laughs> you know? But you never know. You know, you never know when these things are going to add up to something. Um and I think it can be the same way with uh, situations like what, what you just had there with your sister. You just never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that's where <laughs> if you play, you know, just by the rules and in the lines, you might end up in some of these situations where we've heard from or I've read about in, in some of the readers to your column where you feel like you, you, you want to change everything. But actually, as you said, it's not black or white. Just, just start maybe taking up that conversation you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I I think as we as we enter towards the home stretch here, I want to bring up a, a conversation I used to have with my grandmother, who I think I've told you about is or was an, an avid New York Times reader. Yes. Uh, kind of lived and died by the uh, the, the Sunday Times, especially, <laughs> but but really every day every day of the week was a New Yorker through and through. Same building for thirty something years. When I left you know, my finance venture capital job, it was such a paradigm shift in terms of mentality, um, in terms of how I thought about my 
career, at least through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a product of the Depression. She grew up in a world where you get a job, you keep it. Um, you go until you get that gold watch or until they kick you out or, or retirement or whatever comes first or, or some combination of all three. Um, to see her grandson at 24 give up what, what you know, presumably was right. the purpose of a lot of that investment behind education, other things like that, it, it was very hard, if not impossible, to kind of understand. And it wasn't that she was a bad person. It was just, it was just that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that going forward in 30, 40, 50, 60 years, will, will decisions like changing your career um, in ways we're starting to see it happening more and more and in different ways, will that become more the norm or will it be just a fad? Will this be a place in time where we're seeing it more than in other generations and it'll revert back to the mean? Huh. Uh, well, you know, uh, first of all, that's a hard question. If I had to bet, I would say that this is that the, that the, that that shift that you're describing has been going on for a while, and that I, I would bet that it's not a fad. I don't. I mean, I'm 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 uh, I'm relatively conversant in the literature uh, on this, and but I'm I'm, I'm definitely not uh, a sort of macro expert. But I mean, I think the consensus is that uh, it's going to become much. It's going to become increasingly commonplace to kind of not only from the side of people wanting to change careers but people needing to change careers uh, or at least or at least skill sets evolving and so on so quickly that and and you know combined with longer lifespans and longer I'm going to guess work lifespans uh for reasons having to do with both desire and necessity of you know desire to keep working and and necessity to keep working I think the way those things all work together I I think you know, the idea of uh, certainly the idea of like changing careers at 25 is n- n- going to seem less and less uh, shocking. Um, and, you know, I mean, depression mentality or not, I just think that, um, you know, I've been in the workforce like what since the late 80s, I guess. And, you know, I, no one's going to have like people. To, I've watched many, many people who, who have stuck with the stable job only to see the company lay them off, you know. So um, I don't think that many people are going to be able to have like my dad had the cl- classic career of um, working at this same company for most of his professional life and then getting not, not literally a gold watch, but, you know, the, practically that um, <laughs> and a pension and the whole thing. I just think that it's you can say like, well, you'd be crazy to give up that job, but I guess you would. But that job's existence is not guaranteed. Um, the most stable companies right now could, you know, who knows what their uh, lifespan will will be or what their what their health will be in twenty years, you know. So I think you almost have to think that way. And I I don't I don't imagine that reverting back to the mean. I think that that's fascinating, and I, and I I agree. I think. That last point in particular is something I bring up all the time. You know, people shouldn't not jump or not consider a switch because they think staying in the status quo will give more certainty and stability. There, there may be, as a woman in, in, in my book mentions, a veneer of stability, uh, but, but that is, is a veneer. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, I think that's reality. So. Yeah, I mean, I think a, an event that I remember that, that like was clarifying for me along these lines was in the '90s when IBM laid off a, like significant numbers of people. It's like that was a right. pr- it was a pretty big deal, and uh, uh, you know, it just sort of seemed like if that if that's not a rock solid 
scenario anymore. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I remember the woman who actually helped, uh, it was one of the early stories of motivation for me to start this community, was telling me when she left Wall Street, she was at Lehman Brothers, I think it was like in 06, or it was right at their peak. Yeah. And and I remember she was leaving to go become a professional athlete. And she told me, her, one of the bosses, one of the partners said, how could you give up such a sure thing yeah. <laughs> and go give <laughs> and take such a risk? It was like a matter of months, right? So That's amazing. Uh, well, Rob, any, any you know final tips? I know you probably give this out a lot, but for those who are like, you know what, this all makes sense. I'm going to go sharpen up my resume. I'm going to meet with folks. I'm going to think about a, either to, you know, to go into some job crafting or, or really kind of rethink where I want to go with my career because I feel like I can. Is there anything you kind of impart for folks as they, as they digest and go back to their, their day job and try to think of what may seem like an insurmountable challenge <laughs> if they're not happy? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that the theme we've hit on through this is like just, just think of it at like start small, you know, um, just come up with one step. Like, don't worry about how to reinvent everything overnight, but like, you know, arrange one lunch um, or uh, read one book on the subject that is of interest to you. You know, just take take one step and then take one more step and then, you know, sound it out as you go and uh, try to make it feel less intimidating and more like, you know, try to make it feel like less of a one time monumental project and more like just a, a way that you're going to live your life from now on the changing at the margins that is a great ending point and i uh wholeheartedly agree unsurprisingly uh <laughs> rob walker <laughs> thank you so much for for taking the time i know you're very busy you've got your book coming out when can we expect it to hit shelves is there anything we can do in the meantime as we wait for it well let's see there's i'm on i guess i should say i'm on twitter at not rob walker um and i'll be promoting the book more it's a year from now. It's not scheduled to come out until May of uh, 19. So I'm not yapping about it too much right now. <laughs> plenty of time for that later. Uh, and my site yep. is robwalker.net. There's other like, you know, newsletter kind of stuff that people can do there if they want to um, keep in touch. And I'm always happy to hear from people. So uh, give a shout. Oh, and send your questions. Send your work questions to workologist at nytimes.com. Got to put in the plug for that. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, yeah, you're in for a treat if, if you get through to, uh, to the workologist himself, I can tell you that. So, uh, well, Rob, thank you for taking the time. I know you're very busy. I know our community will appreciate this, and, and I'm sure we'll be sending some questions your way. Uh, Rob Walker, the workologist, thank you for joining me on the When to Jump podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the When to Jump podcast. To find out more about Rob Walker, we have some links to his work as the workologist in the description of this episode. To find out more about When to Jump, visit whentojump.com or check them out on social media, whether on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or any of those. They're at When to Jump, all one word. This podcast is produced by me, Alexander Abnos, with help from Katie Ferguson and Becky Celestina. The senior editor for Macmillan Podcasts is Alyssa Martino. Check out some of our other great shows at macmillanpodcasts.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Sometimes it takes a different approach 
to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.